from the creator economy to the end of Bretton Woods and the origins of the metaverse. This is the UAE Tech Podcast Web3 edition. Tune in for cutting edge interviews on how blockchain is reshaping cyberspace, finance and culture from here in Dubai and cities around the world. For us, AI is going to be extremely important. And when I say us, I mean the metaverse um, is going to be extremely important with how NPCs are going to be interacting with the, you know, yourself as an individual within the space, how personalization is going to be uh, playing a part with AI technology, uh, how environments are going to change. But interestingly, it also taps into the design element of it. You know, designing the metaverse rather than it being a strenuous, let's say three, four a week, day tops of sitting down on let's say photoshop or whatever putting the perfect elements together and then going to a blender to 3d render the environment ai could possibly do it the quick pitch for metapolis is shopify in the metaverse co-founder and chief commercial officer sandrew hello has dubbed it mass or metaverse as a service platform behind the clear business use case of an interoperable sales platform are some astute insights into how the digital economy might emerge over the coming decade. Sandra is, for example, one of the first to point to the elephant in the room, geopolitics. If metaverse worlds are to exist as these hyper-social spaces in the future of global digital markets, it also stands to reason that they need to be localized. That means different languages, cultural attitudes, and even conflicting beliefs have to find a home here, as in the real world and as on the internet today, but perhaps even more so. Access is also discussed at the hardware and software layer. On the one hand, the Middle East dormant creative potential is about to find a new home. On the other hand, access isn't going to be evenly distributed, as some surf new realities on their phone, while others work out in 4K on a VR headset, or play real-world video games on an AR device. In all of this, the city-state of Dubai and the country of the UAE have a historical role to play. This will be alongside an emergent technology that after many decades has now filtered into global consciousness. It is, of course, artificial intelligence. Hi there, today we're talking to Metopolis co-founder and chief commercial officer, Sandra Hello, Sandra, thanks so much for joining us today. So to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to in Dubai recently? Sure. Hey, John. Uh, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here talking about the metaverse. So uh, as you said, my name is Sandra Hello. I'm originally, uh, I, I guess I'll take people through a quick roundup of my story. So originally Australian uh, born and raised with Lebanese background. So Australian Lebanese, I've uh, been pretty interested just culturally and the way I was raised with the Middle East region and everything that's happening here. But my background started off in the tech. So uh, my background is multidisciplinary, uh, if you look at it. So initially, when I left high school, I started to focus on advertising and marketing. And uh, I started doing, you know, other majors that had to do with it, major sub- ranges around graphic design and around psychology. So 
by the time I finished university, it was at the peak of where digital transformation was starting to take places. So all the traditional companies were looking at going digital. You know, what is this digital world that's uh, happening and that's out there with, you know, the social media platforms that were showing up and uh, the progression that was being made in that space. So my career with, uh, I'm just going to focus on digital kind of kicked off within that space because I started working mm. with some really interesting companies on how we can transform their traditional operations towards digital. And funny enough, a uh, couple of years later, back again to how can we take digital and make it even more digital now in the metaverse. So it's uh, been really exciting seeing that transition from when I left university to now being at the peak of people entering Web3 and blockchain. That makes sense. And in a way, it's kind of interesting because on the series, we've spoken to many different kinds of people um, that are activating or working in this space. So we've spoken to kind of bohemian creative artists from the fine art world in Berlin. We've spoken to, you know, the leaders of, of significant AAA gaming mm -hmm. labs in Paris. We've spoken to, of course, the crypto and blockchain guys. But what we haven't actually done that much on is, of course, the design community. A lot of the people who are already working you know, creating digital designs, be it 3D or 2D, um, using software packages that will be very soon, if not already, adapted to 3D environments and the metaverse. And the kind of people who are interested in, you know, online digital creativity, digital art, um, psychology, all those kind of things. And, you know, Web 2.0 yep. was good for those people. It was fun, particularly, as you say, you know, when you're graduating, this stuff was booming and was already changing the economy. And it feels yep. like a lot of a lot of it is coalescing into this new space well, that we kind of instinctually yeah. feel, but is still quite hard to define. Yeah. Well, the beauty of it, right, is the sorry if I cut you. No. But if you look at what Web three is actually doing, right, it's making everyone become independently the brand. So now, as an individual, you are within your means to upskill yourself to learn more with you know information that is out there is accessible to anyone with an internet and any way to access the internet, right? You have Udemy, you have Coursera, you have YouTube. You can always add an upskill to what you already know. Now, if I remember back to when I was in university, uh, good times, I went. To, I personally went to a private arts academy. So we had to go through all of these stages where you had to learn art history, mm. you had to learn strategy, you had to learn design. So while I'm not a designer, I know the design elements. And I remember back in the days, yeah. After you graduated, the biggest hurdle that you were facing was either you put your portfolio on, you know, Dribble or Behance or uh, I think MySpace was around back then <laughs> too, um, or High Five or something like that. And you would wait for either an advertising agency to come and say, look, we want you to work with us, the graphic designer, or you would probably be walking around and see someone used your artwork without actually, you know, letting you know and giving you your commission that's required for it. But the shift that's happening now is if you look at design in specific, it is giving people the ability to become their own kind of pushers in the creator economy because no longer are you waiting on others to acquire your, your talent. You're now putting your talent out there and making revenue from NFT sales, from collaborations, from co-creating with other large brands, you know, whether it's the gaming studios, whether it's esports, whether it's the metaverse assets. So that massive shift has changed the mentality and the behavior of how I'm not going to say kids, but I am just for the sake of the conversation of how adults and teenagers are kind of approaching the future of their talent and what they're going to do with it. Yeah, there's a lot there to discuss. I mean, we've already spoken on the series about how there's a generation of 
young kids and children, and we're talking, you know, often like five or six that young who are already using Roblox and are used to kind of building things online and sharing that with their friends. And I think that's something we can maybe talk about later. But I want to hone in on this idea of the role of creators, because I know that's something that you're interested in and passionate about. And I think one of the things that our audience might not always recognize, uh, particularly in the business community, is that a lot of the design skills, be they soft skills or hard skills, you know, you said you went to art school, which I think there's a lot of skills there in terms of design thinking, um, color palette, uh, accessibility that are transferable into the metaverse. But in terms of just, you know, design skills, a lot of the metaverse is already built for these software packages. And of course, then you turn it into a virtual asset. You can record your IP on the blockchain. So you mentioned, as you mentioned, it can't, can't as easily get stolen or replicated somewhere else. And hopefully you can make money from these you know, inventions through the, the, the product life cycle. So the skill sets aren't that different but the potential is rapidly changing. What is it that excites you about kind of the role of creators in the metaverse specifically? And why do you think that will be a really important shift? I mean, look, there are different layers to the metaverse, right? Uh, different elements for a metaverse to actually come to be. First, you have to look at the architecture and design because that doesn't really change whether you're looking at it aesthetically from the outside or the interior that's happening inside. Uh, that design element still needs to be applied even on 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 technology such as the metaverse. Uh, you also have the asset packs, the asset packs and assets that need to be modeled, rigged, and designed to fit the space. Whether it's through the you know the couch that's going to be in the metaverse, the TV screen possibly, um, the avatar in itself, the assets that the avatar is going to wear and be needing, interior design and the layout of the exterior design as well again, ties back to these layers that the metaverse needs. So if I look at it from a technological perspective, you have your first layer, which would be the tech stack. Then you would have the additional layer on top of that, which would be, you know, let's say the aesthetic element, which would be what would the metaverse look like for you or the client? Uh, What would it be when it comes to interaction? Because we can't forget that even though it is an avatar and you are accessing it through browser or a VR, AR headset, the element of movement and the element of cooperation and collaboration still needs to exist, meaning that aesthetically it still needs to make sense to the avatar and to you as the viewer behind the avatar and the one interacting and engaging within this space and area. So you have that element, but then on top of it, you also have how is this movement going to impact the things around me? Because it needs to be adaptable in real time. Now, when it comes to the skill sets that's required, a lot of people tend to now be shifting more towards different metaverses that kind of uh, apply to different use cases. For us and what we're doing with Metapolis is we've built this layer that's a metaverse as a service platform, meaning that a lot of our users and a lot of our clients, they don't really need to think of all the added elements that are required to build this standalone metaverse because one, having a standalone metaverse causes some issues when it comes to engagement. The metaverse is meant to be open it's meant to be easy. and you know as a user you're meant to have a reason to enter it so the skills required we've kind of through our platform removed some of them but the creator skills still need to be honed in on and i think i said that before which would be the you know design elements architecture interior design that transfer of knowledge now needs to adapt to what web3 requires from the individuals who have that skill 
I hope that made sense. It made sense to me in my mind, but um, it, I hope you kind of got what I was trying to say. No, it, it does make sense. I think we should um, kind of break it down a little bit more um, just to look at it, the various elements. But you mentioned Metaverse as a service platform, and a good way of approaching this might be, can you explain what that idea is and also how it's different or unique in some sense to the existing metaverse offerings that are already out there? I mean, it's a very good question to, to ask and to answer, really, because there is some misconception around what the metaverse is. I think a lot of people still get confused between what is a digital twin and what is a metaverse. Is a metaverse a closed space or is it an open space? Is it mm. for everyone or is it restricted? Uh, I can only answer this question from my perspective, but by no means does that mean it applies to everyone else's. For me and for Metapolis, our vision and our objective is to build an open world where we streamline and make it very easy and efficient for brands, clients, and individuals to enter the metaverse space with as limited issues as they possibly could, as they possibly don't need to face within the blockchain space. For example, if you look at blockchain right now, right? You need to get a wallet uh, to be able to interact with some sort of blockchain to own an NFT. Uh, not all wallets are interoperable. So, you know, you cannot move freely between one. businesses or a lot of brands are now building these. We call them activations because they're not continuous operational models that attach to their business model, right? So these activations where a user is needing to download a wallet, interact with a new blockchain, get assets, um, purchase them but they cannot move them from space to space. So what we do is we actually, through the Metaverse service platform, we built that layer where we've developed a wallet, we've built a interoperable, um, sorry, I hate saying that word, <laughs> a <laughs> layer where you can freely move between Metaverse to Metaverse, keeping all your assets intact in one place. So you don't need to change your identity because every other Metaverse, you have a separate identity that's linked to the wallet that you have. On our platform, anyone who launches on Metapolis all the users are able to move freely, engage, keep their identity, and keep all their assets in one place. So I guess the best way to think of it is think of what Shopify did to e-commerce, in a sense. Yeah, in the metaverse. That business case makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about Dubai, because... There are challenges here. You know, there are lots of technical challenges with building out the metaverse, but it's also a country that has tried to embrace, you know, emerging, emerging and frontier technologies. Um, and I think the metaverse is part of that. You know, the government has, has released the metaverse mm -hmm. white paper. They obviously see an opportunity here. And I think you, you said you, you've always had a passing interest in the Middle East and you've been out here diligencing the scene what are the things that you found are encouraging what is the community like what do you think the challenges are ahead you know I, this is actually a very passionate question to answer because i was discussing it last night with a couple of friends mm. <laughs> out in dubai yeah so if you look at the space right the middle east as a whole the region here previously people have had kind of this opinion or a perspective towards what actually happens in the mina region right so that's more I won't say, I mean, I'll say just the, the, the Middle East. So let's say, you know, UAE, Saudi Arabia, Qatar. Um, let's just focus on them. With the shift or the acceptance that's happening now with Web3, Dubai has massively pivoted to be one of the first to probably embrace mass adoption 
or at least start discussing rules and regulations, what the metaverse is going to be, sustainability, uh, IoT, gaming and esports, making yeah. it easy for startups, making it easy for individuals to actually establish teams and build the future that is needed. But the beauty in that is this hasn't only welcomed a new breed of uh, skills into the countries, it's also opened the perspective and changed how people view, view the region as a whole. You know, um, growing up, like I said, I grew up Australian Lebanese. Back in the day, people wouldn't really talk about the Middle East. But now wherever I go, everyone's like, oh, wow, Dubai is beautiful. Oh, wow, Saudi Arabia is really, you know, making changes. Oh, wow, Qatar has really done an amazing job with, you know, with their way forward. So the shift has also happened on a geo kind of perspective for how people perceive the entire region. So it started off with blockchain and the Web3 adoption, but I think it's gotten way bigger and broader to include more acceptance for people to see that Dubai in specific and Abu Dhabi actually are doing quite a lot to support brands, to support startups and to support entrepreneurs in building the future of Web3, blockchain, metaverse, gaming, esports, and all of that. So that that for me is really, really big because, you know, they're the first ones who actually have sat down and said, look, maybe we need we do need to look at rules and regulations and how to apply them in the space and build yeah. metaverse assemblies and have all of these discussions. One thing that I think is very important and what we're looking at applying in Metapolis is the localization of the metaverse. Um, I'm sure, you know, when you go out, you're walking around in the malls and you're, you're, in, you're, you're out in, in the region, you would see, you know, the English writing and you would also see the Arabic translation of it. The metaverse doesn't need to not have that. I believe that it's very crucial and important we localize the metaverse as well to adapt to cultural norms, to adapt to societal factors, um, whether it's through avatar wear, whether it's through the hand gestures, whether it's through the language spoken. So for me, localization of the metaverse is just as important as what the region is doing to getting out there and attracting the talent. Those are astute comments. I think both of them are surprising and astute comments. I think the geopolitical point, um, A, the, the fact that, that 10 years ago, well, even very recently, like five years ago, some people in Australia or the UK or US might be surprised that in terms of the debate and the regulatory debate and the future of the digital economy debate, countries out in the GCC could actually be having a really kind of creative, interesting, emerging role to play. But I think beyond that, the role of geopolitics in the digital economy, particularly as we have some of these new instruments coming out, uh, Web3, crypto, metaverse, you know, that geopolitical role is important. And there are a lot of uh, company countries and city states now competing to be leaders in digital from Singapore to Dubai to, to KSA. And it's not yeah. something that always gets discussed. And it is, is a super, you know, the geopolitics of, of digital and, and the implications of, you know, the metaverse economy, what worth trillions of dollars. It is a serious debate and it's one that's probably not had enough. So thanks. Thanks for bringing that one up. Um, and I think the second one, which again is is super interesting, is localization. Um, I would. I don't think it is controversial. I think people should be having this debate. But I'd go a step further than you, and I'd argue that. Uh, and I, I've had this conversation with a lot of friends who are in this space as well. And I'd argue that if you look at the existing internet, 
you do have localization, right? So you have websites that are in, that are in Arabic. Yep. You have in the GCC, you have now a lot of e-commerce websites that are now kind of started off in the region, right? That That's kind of a big shift. You have a lot of fintechs yep. that have started off in the region. So you kind of have this, it's not just copying and pasting anymore. It's not just Arabizing an English website. There's actually mm -hmm. stuff that's emerging out of the region. And I think if you look at the concept of a metaverse, right, there is a real geopolitical aspect because what we're really saying is this is a kind of digital civilizational space, right? This is a space, a commons yeah. where, you know, all of humanity can jump in and they can trade and they can make money and they can socialize and they can have fun and everyone should hopefully have access that is not necessarily limited by language or nation state. And I, for me, I think that is part of the dream. And it's one of the things that really interests me, this side of the digital economy. And then when I go into Decentraland, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little bit kind of, you know, the reality is much less because basically it's the same American kids <laughs> I see on Twitter. It's yeah. the same language, you know, I shift into tech yeah. bro mode because that's just how you <laughs> discuss things. You know what I mean? But you're like, you start well, saying wag me, John. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, where is the, where is the architecture from different parts of the world in the metaverse? Yeah. Where are the, you know, linguistics? Yeah. But there are other sides of culture. And I also think, you know, family friendly policies, um, cultural friendly policies are really important for 100%. this to be a space 100%. that isn't just, you know, like the old internet, basically like completely 100%. West and, you know, I'm, I'm from the West and I don't have any problem saying that. It's just more exciting for me if it's much more of a, a polarity and there's much more kind of cultural influences. And I, I think... You know, the beauty... Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I think people in Dubai... No, sorry, I just like I a little bit. It's a big debate, but yeah, please go ahead. No, I think the beauty always lies where the East can meet the West respectfully and mm. both cultures can kind of connect, right? And this is beautiful in the metaverse because personalization is a very, very big factor, right? You know, you, you made a very important point, which is there are a lot of websites out there that are, you know, between English and Arabic, and you can kind of flip between the two. And I'm sure we've all been <laughs> in a situation where you've traveled to a, a country, you didn't understand the language, but then all of a sudden Google and Hotmail are in that language because they picked up on your IP. So mm. with the metaverse... The personalization factor allows for this localization to completely be applied where you can just toggle how you want to experience the experience in front of you, right? So, for example, right now, if I walk into a store, I have to take in the aesthetic. I have to take in the engagement that's available to me physically right in front of me. But in the metaverse, I can personalize this, this interaction to suit my needs. For example, if today I wake up and I do not want to see the color blue, then I can personalize it. I mean, obviously, I'm speaking to you more in the future, right? Uh, I think one thing that we do need to kind of discuss as a whole Web3 community is that we do need to be realistic about the technology and the limitations of the technology that we currently have. I do believe that, <clears throat> sorry, a lot of people talk about what the future is going to look like, but they speak about it like it's here now and fully achievable. We need to be very realistic about the safety and security. We need to be very realistic about ethics. We need to be very realistic about what, data is going to be acquired, these rules and regulations, because again, if we look just at rules and regulations, is it going to be government led? Is it going to be, you know, the formed community led? There's a massive shift happening right now in society that's going to acquire, sorry, that's going to require an entire restructure of what it means to 
be a human in a society that is going to be interacting with digital um, technology, spatial web, 24-7, because we can no longer just be detached now. And that's very evident. I mean, even right now, just look at your day-to-day, -day, right? We're, right now, we're on a laptop, you're on your phone, then you're connected through an iWatch. These kind of like biases that exist, they do need to be revisited. And it, it's just really interesting for me to kind of watch the change in human behavior and mentality, because a lot of people talk about mass adoption, but I think sometimes we forget that mass adoption is still happening on smaller things that some people have already gotten used to. So I probably went off on a little tangent there, John, I apologize, but it just, no, I felt it was I, like I a think, topic that was I, worth I, mentioning. I think it is a great one. And, you know, the UA tech podcast is often very technical. So just so you know, for background, we've gone through a lot of the technical challenges, you know, bandwidth, compute power, yeah. um, you know, banking, fintech payments, all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. with the metaverse. So we have discussed those, but I think your broader points on the role of culture, cultural accessibility, and that role of geopolitics, which I'm always surprised is so often missed, um, is really important in this space and kind of obvious. Uh, on that note, uh, again, this is slightly more of a cerebral point, but it is called Metapolis, which I really like that name. Um, polis you know has a lot of connotations i think it might be greek but my, my polis my education might be letting me down there but you know it's this idea of a melting pot where a lot of people can be discursive and can meet and can talk how do you think this might be different and wider to social media because you know social media has some good things about it but there's this debate in the metaverse you've got you've kind of got the gamers on one side right who the metaverse is this you have the blockchain guys yep. The metaverse is this. And then you have the social media guys who are like, no, the metaverse is obviously this. So why did you call it Metapolis? And, and what are you getting at with that one? You know, terminology in, in itself is still kind of pretty new in the space, as in everyone is still trying to give a definition to an acronym or to a word based on their own view. I don't think we've gone into a point where we can apply one set of definitions to anything that anyone is doing. But um, you pretty good point you picked up on it. So Polis, the reason why, I mean, Meta, pretty obvious, you know, we couldn't go with Meta by itself because it was already taken, um, as I'm sure was, everyone That was, so, it was but... so sneaky, wasn't it? I'm sure everyone <laughs> in like IP and trademarks and copyright, the minute that came, that came out, that they're coming. probably, yeah, probably, you know, banging their heads against the table. If only I'd reserved that honestly. domain name, you know what I mean? But yeah. I, uh, I woke up one morning and I was like, oh, here we go. Didn't see that one coming. So, yeah, it was the, a couple of coffees were had that morning, that's for yeah. sure. So, um, <laughs> so we couldn't go with Meta by itself. So, look, if you look at our vision, like I said before, we are a metaverse of metaverses. We are a metaverse standard, uh, a metaverse layer that builds a product line for other people to easily enter the metaverse. So, technically, what we do is we are a platform that holds a lot of metaverses that people can freely move in between. So... If you look at the term polis, that in itself is what it literally translates to. If you look at it in a Greek term, as in like the Greek term of what polis means, mm. it's just a community of people where you go, you can, you know, like you said, buy, interact, localize and do whatever you want. So, I mean, to, to be very straightforward, it was literally just one plus two equals Metapolis. <laughs> and that that was the birth of the of the company name, um, just to bring people together through metaverse and a polis kind of approach to community building 
and collaboration, because that's generally back in the days where people would collaborate, meet and engage. Um, the color purple that is used in the branding, though, is uh, a specific color that was discovered in the Middle Eastern region, actually, specifically out from Lebanon back in the back in the day called Tyrant Purple. Uh, so that they were kind of explorers, they moved around from place to place. And that also just adds into the whole aspect of, you know, the innovation that's taken place from people being seafarers, you know, getting on these boats to now having, you know, yachts to having um, traders happening from ocean to ocean and people just moving around and evolving through means of innovation. So it was pretty well thought, I would say. I could be biased, <laughs> but um, it was literally just one and two put together for the name. It works well. And on the purple, uh, yeah, it was a, a famous um, color, a very old color from the Middle East. And it was then adopted uh, by Julius Caesar and the Roman emperors as a kind yeah. of um, imperial sign, uh, you know, a couple of centuries later. So, yeah, the, 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 the whole purple thing has a whole history. Um, it's moving... my favorite color, too. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had to put it in somewhere. Yeah, I guess it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it, it 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 is an interesting brand, an interesting name. I wanted to ask you about going back actually to something technical, but it's one that is often missed, and I think it's a debate that's beginning to rise a little bit. You know, we're talking about the Middle East, and you you're probably aware, but it's a lot better than it was today. Today, you can shop e-commerce, and you know, as I said, KSA, the GCC, fairly easily, even in the Levant, although it's a bit more difficult. But there was a period, you know, five, six years ago, where for many young entrepreneurs in this region, just getting access to e-commerce or having a startup with a payment gateway was impossible. And then you'd have, you know, countries relatively proximate, Turkey or Israel, where there were young people who had no problem doing that at all. And it was kind of really unfair if you think about the fact that, you know, in, in many ways, the internet has no real, like, you know, jurisdictional barriers that they're kind of implemented. And one of the things we have emerging in the metaverse now is kind of hardware barriers. So, you know, I love VR, I love AR, um, but some of these headsets are pretty expensive and that has real implications for access. Um, so I guess two questions really. One, you know, what are the exciting things with these emerging hardware devices? Because, you know, I'm a fan of them myself. I think there's a lot there to celebrate. But also, what are the things we need to worry about when it comes to the mass adoption of the metaverse, when it comes to having a kid in Egypt or Jordan being able to access, you know, these emerging markets? And what more can be done to ensure that happens and we don't have a kind of a, an unequal um, pace of, of distribution and access? Very good question. Kind of difficult to answer it in, yeah, in the tough, time frame really we have because there's so many, yeah. there's a lot to answer, you know, especially when it comes, I mean, I could dive deep, like you said, you, you, the podcast covers tech, but, you know, we could dive deep into tech and the infrastructure around that. But mm. I think I'll probably just focus it more on, um, not everyone is going to probably experience the same kind of engagement or the same kind of aesthetic that can be delivered from a metaverse presence on a web browser. Uh, within any region, not just the Middle East, within anywhere, because that is mostly dependent. If it's a web experience, it's dependent on the hardware that you have in front of you, your internet connection. And as you know, all of the things that play a factor, right? What we can, in a sense, have access or control to is the VR headsets that people can purchase, 
and have an experience on them because it's loaded as a full set experience into the, the space that you have on, on your head. Um, but realistically, and I think you made this point, how many people are going to be walking around with a VR headset in their back pocket and they just whip it out and you know enter the metaverse? So what we are looking at doing is we've optimized our experiences for the web browser, meaning that uh, it adapts to your bandwidth, it adapts to your hardware, and between the mid-poly and the high-poly, you're able to still see the same environment uh, without feeling like you're missing out. So it, the avatar would change based on your perspective uh, and the engagement that you're having. Now, realistically for me, I think AR is going to be the main driver for mass adoption because it can easily be applied. It's already used, you know, people are using it with Pokemon Go. Um, it's used with IKEA furniture. It's used across a whole bunch of kind of, um, what do you call it, use cases. So AR and mixed reality experiences where you can easily move from, let's say, your metaverse in the browser to AR or to a virtual headset are going to be extremely important. Uh, VR in itself is still going through processes. I think I read this morning that Meta now is going to put the metaverse a bit on the back burner and vo focus on an AI department. If I wasn't mistaken, I'm not sure if you heard that as well. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of interesting because for me, it kind of makes me question, well, what's going to happen to the development that was happening around the AR glasses? What's going to happen to the Oculus that was also being developed for the metaverse? Uh, is it going to include more AI in it? Or what's that going to be like? So for me specifically, I would say that these experiences and the use cases are going to vary brand to brand. Some clients want to do a VR experience, some want to only have a browser, and some want to activate AR. So realistically, it's up to the level of interaction and co and collaboration a brand wants to get from the end user. Yeah, I, that's a really good answer, and uh, you're right. I mean, it's funny because... I think there might be a generational thing. I'm, I'm showing my age here, but you know, I'm a 1980s, 1990s kid. So when I was growing up, it was all about graphics. You know, I grew up with like the Nintendo, the Mega Drive, PlayStation. So I always want to, you know, that's my background. And, you know, I love VR because it's immersive and I, I, it, it's something that I imagined uh, as, a, as a kid. And I've spoken to, we've done podcasts with, you know, Hollywood um, guys from the 1990s who've done big VR movies and they've kind of been on the same page, right? They've been like, yeah, this is amazing. But there's also the fact that a lot of the kids playing Minecraft and Roblox, I don't get that, you know? They're, they're playing this, like <laughs> Minecraft looks so crap to me and I, I played it, but I just don't get it. You know, I want my, my AAA game. And I think you're right. I think, you know, AR, but particularly, you know, mobile phones will have access and for a lot of particularly younger generation who love roblox and minecraft and are spending insane hours in these you know kind of metaverse adjacent worlds it it's not a problem you know they don't necessarily need all this fancy expensive tech um and so i think you're definitely right yeah. I think there'll be different clusters using different technologies um, we're getting to the end of our, our chat today, Sandra. It's been really kind of fascinating. But before you go, I do want to ask you that it was the exact thing we, we wanted to ask you actually was you mentioned uh, the announcement from Meta, which I haven't seen um, and is is kind of semi-surprising. I know that they've had some slightly critical press around the amount they've been spending uh, on, on the Metaverse division, but the role of AI 
in the metaverse. Um, we met with a company two years ago that already kind of had um, a early an early iteration of, of GP based chatbots that you could talk with and stuff like that. But what is your sense, very quickly? I know it's a wide question on the role of AI and specific areas where it might be exciting and useful in the metaverse? Yeah, you know, AI technology in, in specific is not really new, but the mass interest is. Um, back in the days, without me giving away my age now, <laughs> uh, AI was always around. You know, yeah. we were always dabbling with AI. Um, research would only get approved if it had some kind of AI kind of linked in the, in the, in the title of it. So the mass interest that ha that's happening now around AI can only be seen because of the shift in Web3 that's occurring with a lot of these mass, you know, um, platforms and mass kind of startups, entrepreneurs entering the space now, discovering how they can bring certain worlds together. I think AI is going to be, I mean, no one out there can have a different kind of perspective other than it is going to be utilized across various use cases, various industries, and really elevate a lot of the strenuous day-to-day -day work that usually needs to happen. I mean, I know just by talking to people, the fascin fascination around chat GPT is like, oh, you know, it, it saves me two hours a day now, or it saves me four hours a day, or, you know, I've included it as part of my operational kind of uh, uh, procedure with my team to save time. So AI in specific is going to enter a lot of industries. It's really going to pivot how these operation models are going to be automated and how they're going to be applied to um, the workforce, to business processes, to, you know, collaboration even. One thing I can say for you is that for us, AI is going to be extremely important. And when I say us, I mean the metaverse um, is going to be extremely important with how NPCs are going to be interacting with the, you know, yourself as an individual within the space, how personalization is going to be uh, playing a part with AI technology, uh, how environments are going to change. But interestingly, it also taps into the design element of it, you know, Designing the metaverse rather than it being a strenuous, let's say, three, four a week day tops of sitting down on, let's say, Photoshop or whatever, putting the perfect elements together and then going to a blender to 3D render the environment, AI could possibly do it. So I hope I answered your question in a very brief and broad answer, which is what I was trying to do to not kind of pinpoint on an industry. But I do think AI is going to play a massive role across um, a, a whole bunch of things. And definitely something to be welcomed. Um, and that's not kind of tapping into the rules and regulations and ethics that will need to be applied around it. I think that's a whole other topic in itself, but just looking at it straightforward. Uh, yeah, that, that would be my wrap up answer, I guess. Yeah. And I think some of the finance guys are also looking at how they can use AI to, you know, track, track payments and regulate the kind of mass digital economy in the metaverse so let's see how that one goes but sandra thanks so much for your time today uh, all the best with metapolis and hope we can reconnect and do this again in the future thanks john really enjoyed this sponsor information the uae tech podcast is distributed by alboeba business free of charge to sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Alboeba Business, syndication distribution on Alboeba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, 
and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing, design, audio, and video formats. Albert Weber is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.